Welcome to Capistrano Connections, a word podcast where we share our stories, learn more about each other, and discover our common threads. Well, some little technical difficulties, but yeah. take three, maybe this is our magical time. Okay. <laughs> I'm here with Rod Hopkin today, who my family affectionately refers to as Grandpa Rod, because <laughs> we love him known you for like at least 20 plus years yes. i think kira was a yes. almost 20 year old when we moved here that is something. so excited to learn some more about you today i know well, you were born in wyoming yes in the bighorn river basin actually born in the small town called grable which is on the bighorn river and uh, I lived on a farm that was about seven miles or so from Grable and was on a dirt road. Grable was a city of probably somewhere between four and 5,000 people. Oh, so good size. The Bighorn River and, and the railroad come through there. Otherwise, there would have been not much reason for them to be there. We lived on a farm outside of Grable, and going the other direction, about seven miles away, was a little uh, Mormon outpost called Otto, Wyoming. And uh, that's where I went. Well, I was born in the church, and that's where we went to church on most Sundays. But that's uh, that's where I was born, and, and I was raised till I was 12 or 13 years old. On It sounds beautiful, like I don't know, there's something, Bighorn it, River just sounds like it should be a really beautiful, magical know, place. It, um, if you go 10 miles in one way, it's absolutely gorgeous. Uh-huh. The other way, you get away from the river, so there's a, a lot of area that is cactus and that kind of semi-desert type thing. And the farms had to be irrigated. The uh, rain was not enough to grow much of anything if you did not irrigate. And our farm, there was a smaller river called the Grable River that went through our farm that was a tributary into the Bighorn. And that river was, uh, it was a, a gathering place for, for the irrigation water. After it went through the crops, it was basically a collection for all the farms along there. And it had its own origination way up the, up there, but most of the water was irrigation water and was very important. You didn't farm there without them because uh, that's the only way you got water enough during the summer. What did you have on your farm? Did you have cattle or crops? Yeah, or? we had a little bit of everything on ours. The main crop was sugar beets. That was our money crop. However, we also had anywhere from 12 to 15 milking cows. We sold milk on a regular basis, and that was one of our jobs, was milking 12 or 13 cows every morning and every evening. Wow. And uh, generally the milk was separated, cream from milk, and most of the cream was sold, but a good portion of it we kept for ice cream and things like that. Did you make cheese? Yes. Mm-hmm. Cheese. And how long did it take you to milk that many cows twice a day? It would usually run between two and three hours to 
to, to welcome, depending on who was available at what time. I how, had how many siblings did I you have? I had two brothers, older brothers, and dad. My dad would help, and with four people in there, you could you can get through them pretty good. But there would be times when, and there were times after my oldest brother actually got married and moved out, uh, that uh, it uh, it was a little bit more than that. But that was one of the things that it was there, always there, and you dealt with it. You know? Yeah, no vacation from cows, right? No, no, that's right. So that was one of the bigger things. The other things, of course, that go along with that is that the cows have to go out to pasture in the daytime and be brought back. And so we, we had horses, and that was a, it, it was a pretty good day for most of, most of the time, a full day. What about school? School, we went to school. We rode on a, a school bus every morning. At, and we usually got home in the, I would say, in the early evening, somewhere around 4 o'clock or thereabouts. And the school was in Grable. It uh, was actually a very good school, and I have memories of it, uh, good and bad, you know, <laughs> in, in grade school. I, one of my problems, I was, uh, I was very shy if, it, if there's a, a bigger word for shy, that's that was that you. Was me. <laughs> I, I was I was terrible till I was 18. I, in that regard, so I remember that the schools, for one thing, there was no messing around in school that I remember. And the reason I bring that up is because later on, when we moved off the farm, moved from Wyoming to Oregon. And I remember my first few days in, in the Oregon school, and I, and I think I was 12 or 13 at that time. And and I literally thought, <laughs> going into classes and seeing what some of these kids did. Uh-huh. In Wyoming, they got beat to a pulp. <laughs> you know, I mean, Different standards l- Literally, there, huh? I, I remember it so vividly because it just scared the daylights. I think that kid's going to get beat. And, you know, a smart aleck type kid. Boy, that did not go in, in the Wyoming school. Where in Oregon did you move to? And moved to Grants Pass, Oregon, which is southern Oregon on the Rogue River. Uh, in, in Oregon, I kind of grew up more and I uh, became more realistic about my father. He was a good man and I and I learned that mostly in those first few years in Grants Pass. And I was getting into high school and and uh, that kind of thing and he went from that farm into Grants Pass without anything basically and before you knew it he had a arranged to buy what was called um, in Oregon there, there's a lot of lumber mm-hmm. and he went to one of these lumber companies and got a contract for all their scrap wood mm-hmm. that they take off to make boards and build a business selling firewood believe it or not and within a very short time he's got more of this stuff he can haul and, and people with fireplaces and that kind of thing for that pure purpose and buying the stuff for almost nothing because it's scrap. Mm-hmm. And I never, as a kid, knew him as a businessman like that. He really uh, turned into a, a hero of sorts to me at that time. 
that was uh, that was an interesting time. We lived there until I got out of high school. Interestingly enough, it turns out that a week after I graduated from high school, mm-hmm. my father died. Oh, wow. And we were at the storage yard of Dad's business, where the lumber company would cut up all the scraps and haul them over there and, and put them in the, that yard. And then from there, he had trucks that would haul them out to homes and sell them. And he and I had gone down to the yard where we stored the wood. And he had two truckloads that he needed to deliver. And we had to load those two trucks and then take them to the people's home. And while we were loading, I noticed that Dad had kind of gone over onto the truck and sat down on the the fender of it. And he was looking a little strange. And I I remember thinking, now that's not my father. My father would... (laughs) Whenever there was work to be done, he was the last one to quit. You know, mm-hmm. he was only five foot six or something. So I kind of, I kind of knew that something for him to l- let me keep loading mm-hmm. and him going over and resting was. It hit me and I said, "There's definitely something wrong." Uh, so I'd go over and talk to him and. No, I just needed to get a get a good breath. Well, turned out he had had, had a heart attack, mm-hmm. and uh, finally I got both trucks loaded, and, uh, and I said, "Let's get out of here now." And I took him took him home, and and then my mom took him down to the doctor, and uh, I don't know what transpired there, but that's where he passed away, and. Uh, it, it uh, kind of with me for most of my life that he was with me when that happened. And if I'd have been more, maybe if I'd have made him go a couple of times, I said, so if you're not feeling good, well, I'll come back and take care of this, you know. No, no. And uh, so I, uh, that has bothered me. I, I won't say bothered. It is just kind of a thing that I think about more often than I probably should, that if I'd have been more persuasive, we might have got home earlier and he'd have got to the doctor earlier. And uh, uh, But anyway. But, he seemed like he wouldn't have been open to that. No, he, he, was not, uh, he was not generally. It's interesting of farming you. You collaborate with other people because you can't, at least in the early days, you you didn't have a, a group of men that you could get on a, a day's notice to uh, to do the work, you know. So you and the next farmer kind of collaborated for the jobs that required more manpower. So anyway, uh, I think that affected my life to a certain degree. I, I, it was never a, a, a drastic thing, but that... Um, that was probably a significant thing in, in my life, but I it bothered me, you know, and 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 even now I think maybe he'd have been around an extra twenty years or so. But yeah, but okay, I'm just gonna tell you, as someone who loves you, I don't think yeah. there would have been anything 
Did they do open heart surgeries then? No. Oh. Did they have stents and all that? You're, no. You're no. absolutely right. So, as of today, yeah. you should know that yeah. you, a, that well, those I, were precious moments that you got to spend with your dad and he yeah. got to be around you and that's yeah. that's what you should focus on. That He probably took comfort seeing you work hard. Yeah, he, you know, uh, and seeing that you had graduated from high school, you're you're a man, and it, you know, I, yeah. I don't know. I just so your dad passed, and then and that was two weeks before I graduated from high school. Then uh, after graduation, I went to college in Northern Oregon, a small college up there called Pacific University. Uh, I had taken band ever since I could carry a trombone. And Is that what you played, the trombone? Initially, Okay. Yeah. I got into high school in Grants Pass, and my teacher come back and says, you think I can get you to change? And I said, well, you know, I don't know. He <laughs> said, uh, so I changed to a French horn. He didn't oh, have wow. any French horn players, and he needed some. He must and have I, thought you were mm -hmm. smart. That's a hard Oh, strength. yeah, so you can, that <laughs> thing, yeah. Uh, one day I remembered, wonder why they put these valves on here. They don't do anything. <laughs> you have to do it all with your embouchure and whatever. So I played that through high school. And and I actually uh, was a music major at that school for one year. While I was there for that year, I taught junior high school band to help me get through and do, wow. do, do things. And I went one year... And then, and Dad was gone then, so it was uh, pretty tough. Or I, and Mom would never tell me how tough, but uh, I decided I would not pursue that anymore. But it was a great one year. I learned a lot about music, and even though it was not a music school, <laughs> school it was uh, it was a good one. At the end of that time, I knew that Mom was probably not going to have the money to get me in there next year, or, and she wouldn't tell me, but I ended up joining the Army. And I really didn't have that particular thing in mind. What I did was uh, there was a guy that I roomed with, a pretty good uh, buddy with him, and I knew that things were going to be tough for Mom. So when we got to summer, he lived over in eastern Oregon. He says, we got a lot of work over there. I know I could get you a summer job, you know. And, whatever. and I thought, that'd be a good thing for me. So I went over there with him and with the idea of, of just working for the summer. <laughs> and this uh, buddy of mine said, you know, I'm going to drive up to Spokane. He says, I think I might check into joining the Army. And he says, why don't you come with me? And I said, well, I'll go with you, but that ain't, <laughs> that ain't for me. <laughs> well, he joined the Army, and and I ended up going in the Army at the same time. And, uh, Was that because of a persuasive recruiter? or? Uh, yeah, partially because of thought of without Dad being around, Mom's not going to have the income that he had. I mean... I had an older brother and a brother-in-law who were taking care of the company now, but now it's not just Dad. The money thing bothered me more than anything. So I said, okay, I'll join the Army. You know, I got a big chunk of cash and, you know, all of the things that they lure you with. And I was in 
in the Army three years. What did you do in the Army? I was what they called a fire control mechanic. And part of the thing that got me going that made me really think about it was that there was a program that they had at that induction center that everybody that's from around here, after their basic training and everything, they're going to come right back up here to be the rest of their three-year induction. It was in eastern Washington. There was a place called Hanford that was an atomic energy plant on the Columbia River. And because of what it was, it was evidently pretty high on what the enemy would say is target. Mm -hmm. So they were inducting people in that area, and that's where they were going to be set for their term. And that was not so far, you know, like sending me to New York or whatever. Or Alabama. (laughs) Anywhere. That kind of was one of the things that then I'd be reasonably close to mom. So that worked out pretty well for me. The other thing is I was a fire control officer for these. uh, What was there were a bunch of anti-aircraft guns uh, stationed around that place. Because of the atomic energy, it was evidently, uh, they were worried that uh, it was going to be a highly uh, looked at target. Did that make you nervous? Well, not really. And uh, actually, we fired missiles, what we had there. That didn't seem to to bother me much, probably because I didn't think through it. Probably because you were a 19-year-old testosterone-filled teenager, right? And I thought, well... We got these missiles. There ain't anybody going to come around here. Every year, they would take our battalion and go down into Texas and fire three missiles at airplanes. And, and it was, boy, it, it was exciting. You, you just can't believe it. And I'm watching on the radar, and you see the way it worked. It's a, I would handle the program for the missile, and then there was somebody else that would track the airplane. And the idea was we put them together. And all oh, you see this thing explode. And it, is, it was, a at that time, was a real rush for, for oh, me. Sure. Oh, I'm sure. I don't know a, a boy, man that doesn't love oh, fire yeah. or blowing things yeah, up. That's right? true. So... And I was there for the full three years and uh, and got home. So So you went back to Oregon to your mom after yeah. the three mm-hmm. years were up? Yeah. And by then, uh, what that did was to spark a something in me about electronics, you know, and I really got pretty uh, interested in that. And so when I got home, I, I went from there to a couple of trade-type schools in electronics and Worked then for Lockheed down in Sunnyvale and a place called Amp in Pennsylvania. That's where I met my wife. It was all electronic repair or manufacture and radar, that kind of stuff. And that's what I did until I moved to San Clemente and I opened a TV shop in San Clemente. And... uh, ran it until, when was that? I guess it was in 1998, 99. was doing that when I retired, 2007 or something like that. 
You've seen a lot of changes in electronics over oh, yes, your lifetime, huh? And it has passed me by so fast. I, I mean, I, uh, beginning of the end of my shop in San Clemente, I remember computers were coming out. You know, everything was starting to be computer. And when I was immersed in it, I could handle it. But boy, the day I got away from it, <laughs> it took off <laughs> so many, you know, it just, the technology just, to me, exploded. Another explosion. And 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 things I think, gee, I know how to do it. No, you may not. <laughs> anyway, it's, uh, so I'm still in San Clemente and still in San Clemente Steak and Capistrano Ward. So... Speaking of your wife, she told me to ask you about the turkey that you raised when you were young. Oh, I, I, <laughs> I will tell you <laughs> that that turkey ran the farm for for the year or year and a half it was there. I took it as a, a project, a 4-H club project. Dad got some eggs, and I took this one and I let a hen sit on it and it was a tom turkey and that thing got I swear decided the day he was born that he was going to be running this farm and everybody <laughs> was going to be <laughs> well you know animals are interesting you'll have 10 cows they won't do anything except what you say and you'll get one over here that just Milking cows, now that I think about it, was, you know, how mundane can you be? But besides, they're milking 17 cows, and uh, there was one of them that no matter what you did, I'd put shackles generally on their back legs so that they can't move around. Well, that one cow could make two little jumps with her feet and that thing was on the ground the next thing is lift the foot up and put it in the milk oh and i know that that cow knew what it was doing every, every time and i would try to do and and of course once you do that this whatever's in there you spoiled obviously yeah. you can't separate it you can't get the cream out of you and uh but that that little turkey, it was that high. Did you did it have a name? Uh, you know, I don't think I did. I think that everybody in the family called it Rods. You know, because <laughs> I I claimed nobody it. wanted to have ownership. So <laughs> no, <laughs> absolutely, it was my problem. But that thing got so ornery. I had to wear leather gloves because that thing would just bite like crazy, and you couldn't. No matter what you did, it just, it was, uh, and finally, <laughs> finally Dad came and said, I've had it with that thing, and we're, we're going to eat him next week. <laughs> so, <laughs> but that's, that's, uh, that's funny, I just about forgotten that turkey was a 4-H club project of mine. Did he win you any awards? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Darn right. Awesome. Well, <laughs> it was good for something. We huh? would... <laughs> And I remember at the uh, county fair, mm -hmm. which was, oh, it was about 15 miles. It was in Basin, Wyoming, and, and you took your projects to the fair, you know, just like every place. Took that turkey, and I finally got him hobbled up. 
uh, tied his feet together so he couldn't do anything but lay down. And I got him over there, and they had they had these big pens mm-hmm. that were mounted to the tables, you know. The guy says, okay, you bring your turkey and put him in this one. Uh, they were open on, on to the top, and then they usually had places to put feed and stuff in it. And I went and got him, and I put that turkey in the top, and I pulled the thing off his legs, and he laid there. I put the top down and locked it, (laughs) (laughs) and he laid there for about three or four minutes, didn't even move hardly, and then all of a sudden he got up on his feet and said, this is enough, and he flapped and jumped and bounced around until he literally pulled that thing, pulled the nails out of that Whoa. thing and dumped it on the floor. And, and, and the guy from the 4 organization said, well, if I give you a grand champion ribbon, will you take him will home you tonight? Will you get out of here? I says, yes, if I can catch him. Oh, that's oh, so funny. Gosh. It's funny, huh? <laughs> but uh, anyway, that uh, uh, after uh, after my dad died, uh, he died after we moved to Oregon. I know that farm life killed him, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's just, there's 24-hour day work and pretty tough. I think I did go to school that one year, and after that, I, I knew that Mom was going to be trouble with money, and so I ended up in in the army that way. Did you send her money, or you just felt like by going into the army you weren't going to be a financial well, burden? Well, uh, I, I if I I don't think that I did on any regular basis. Mm-hmm. The business was still in business. Because my older, I had a brother that was 17, 18 years older than I, and he had a family there, and Dad had brought him and my sister's husband into the business. So I didn't make enough money. I think I made $70 a month, something like that, when I I was in. And uh, that never was a a, a problem, but I didn't want that college thing to be uh, uh, that she was. Yeah, you just didn't want to be a further drain. Yes. Exactly, and okay. uh, and uh, and it worked out uh, good. My brother and brother-in-law run that company for some time afterwards. Mom decided to get rid of the business and the house and in Grant's best, and uh, she moved. Her younger sister had moved down to San Francisco, and Mom moved down there with her, and I went down and uh, visited down there a couple times. Ended up down there living in Palo Alto and working for Lockheed in electronics. What did you do for Lockheed? We were in, sounds funny, but it was memory. We started memories using ferrite cores. They were little black washers mm-hmm. made of ferrite and was the beginning of digital capabilities of uh, put uh, put a bunch of these in a row and if you run current through them in one direction 
Uh, I, I, don't, I shouldn't get technical, but the, it was a, the beginning of being able to, to memorize something in, in hardware. Got it. Then they were called ferrite cores, and, and then you could read out on those at that time when you put something in. There was only two possibilities, and they were labeled a one and a zero. And if you run the current through this thing in one direction, it would switch the memory into the one position. And then you come back and you read it and turn it the other direction, then it was a zero. And so you would have these things lined up forever and you could memorize numbers and things. And then by new found ways of making them, you could put in four or five numbers or letters or whatever you designated them as. But it was early, early memory electronics is what it was. And very interesting. But it was the beginning of basically digital electronics. So then what took you to Pennsylvania? Lockheed was doing business with a company in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, called AMP Incorporated, and they were doing these memories. And I got called to go back there several times to learn how they were doing it and to get parts and education. And I met a young lady in that company, and the next time I went back, I stayed. I quit Lockheed and went to work for AMP and was there, I think, three years. And in the meantime, got married. How long after you met did you get married? How long after I... After you met After Karen? met her? I think it was about two years, something like that. Is her family from Pennsylvania? Yes, yeah, they are. They lived there. I know she and the kids had grown up in Harrisburg, but I don't know about... And her mom, I think I fell in love with her mom. <laughs> She was a dear, sweet lady. Amazing. After we got married, her dad passed away, and I wanted to come back and go back to work for Lockheed. Finally, she consented, and we moved back out to Palo Alto. Lived there three or four years, I think, before we moved to California. And my oldest brother had come down to San Clemente, and believe it or not, <laughs> bought a liquor store. And I was uh, still working for Lockheed at that time. And he says, well, you know, why don't you come down and, and work for me? And I said, well, I don't want to be selling booze to people. You know? uh, but I was getting a little bit tired of things. And uh, something made me say I'd come down and work for my brother. And, oh, he says, we'll buy a, another store so we can, you know, both make money. Well, I, I was in that liquor store about a week and a half, and I did not want any part of this business whatsoever. And he had on the back of his lot a small building, probably a little bit bigger than this room. I started talking about, I need to get back where I know what I'm doing and, and do the electronics. And, and he says, well, you know, I'll rent you that building for 20 bucks a week or something, and and that's when I started my uh, TV and stereo business there. And, and I was in there for six or eight years. And then he built a new building on another lot. Basically, I kind of outgrew the building I had. So I said, how much to rent that building from him? And then he and his wife decided that they were going to sell out and go to Utah. 
by then I was doing pretty well and ended up buying the small building and the new big building from him. I started in the, the other building, which faced the street, had windows and everything, and I started selling stuff at the same time. And uh, did that for, oh, I can't say how many years, along with repairing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't care much for the business of selling it. Give me something to fiddle with. So I closed down the store part, kept the other part, and rented out that building. I was making more money that way than... <laughs> <laughs> than, than selling. Than selling. I know I'm a good sell. You got to know your strengths, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and then up till about 2007, I finally closed it down completely. I still have the buildings and rent them, but I quit working or tried to. It, you know, it's becomes part of you. So I go out in the garage and fiddle around a little. <laughs> That's good. Good for your brain. Good for your soul, right? Yeah. 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 So where did you live when your children were born? Actually, in uh, here, in San Juan. Now, wait a minute. No, 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 no. Mike was born in Harrisburg. So do you have any uh, fun memories when your kids were young, and did you go on vacations? or? Yeah, we uh, did to a certain degree. Most of that time, we had the two boys, and I, for one, found out that traveling with children is a big, big job. And I kind of soured on it to a certain degree. Traveling back east was uh, interesting to me because I was born in Wyoming and lived west of that my whole life. Do your kids live close by? My two boys are within walking distance of us. Nice. And Debbie, my daughter, is out in the desert. So she's not far either. No. And then how many grandkids do you have? Six six grandchildren, now one great-grandchild. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Do you get together for holidays? Yeah. Oh, yeah. My wife is a get-together, particularly if you bring the kids. She loves being a grandma. Oh, yeah. She don't care whether you come, but you send those kids. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any special holiday traditions in your family? No, I would not say that. You get together, that's your tradition? Yes, yeah. And, uh, of course, sometimes you have traditions you don't know how until you realize, gee, we do that every time, don't we? <laughs> you know, can't think about it. So are your kids musical? You played trombone and French horn and yeah. you sing. One son and my daughter both started instruments early on. Mm-hmm but neither one of them stuck with it. Do you have a favorite church calling that you've had over the years? Uh, that's an interesting question. Early on, mm-hmm. I thought that I could be a good teacher. And of course, we've all been called to that at one time or another, but I was not anything close to what I <laughs> thought I was as a teacher. And so I thought all along that that would be the thing I would like to do. And I've done it, but there are... How should I put it? Some people can present an issue or something you believe in or whatever, and it always comes out just exactly the way it that it it hits you. That's the way that it works. 
and I found out that I I think I'm a very poor teacher in most cases, and I, I I'm not sure that I could say why, but I could never seem to grasp and express what I grasp. But I have discovered that I'm probably better in, well, I've been building representative for Keeper several years. Keeper of the keys, right? Yeah, yeah. And that becomes more important as we get advances in this stuff and, uh, you know, and other things. If I were to say that, where should I be placed? I would say that probably in the minor things with building and taking care of the things outside of the teaching per se, <laughs> I would be better at that. That part of church is is interesting to me. Some people just are so good at it. Oh, and well, we all have different gifts, right? Absolutely, absolutely. That is for sure. If we were all the same, it would be so boring, right? <laughs> yeah. So if you could give your posterity some advice, a hundred years in the future, what would you tell them? Set up your life in such a manner that you build a trail to the place where the gospel is easy to you. And I don't think this is a minor project. It's extremely difficult. But you need to know where to go from this to this and the, the things that can throw you off that path, that path of communication that eventually ends up with the, the Lord himself and his Father. I wish I could say, do this, 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 and this, and they would be fine. But I think that trail is somewhere for someone and someplace else for somebody else. But I think the world is turning to a point where there is as much or more negative stuff as there is positive. And I wish I had said that to myself when I was seven years old or so. I think it's a lifetime job, but it's a lifetime adventure too. That to me is is becoming more and more important. Your connection with God the Father and Jesus Christ needs to be better today than it was yesterday because there's the devil and his crew are not making it easy for us. Well, thank you so much for your time. I love you and I had a lot of fun. Good. I, I hope it was worthwhile. <laughs> <laughs>